Father, uh, we are thankful for nice weather and uh, the freedom that summer brings for our families to be able to travel and spend time together. We're thankful for those blessings. And yet we want to be faithful to look through and beyond those blessings to even greater blessings that are ours and that will go on without end at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Uh, would you help us now for this fifth and final week to set our minds on the things above where Christ is? Help us to long for his coming and to be ready for it when that day arrives. Oh, Father, clear our minds and our hearts of all the things that would distract us and let us see Jesus, we pray. In his mighty name, amen. Good endings are hard to come by. If you've ever tried to write anything, maybe an essay in school, you know, you can start off well, you can even have a great argument in the middle, but if you don't have a good conclusion, it just falls flat. Uh, same is true for TV shows and movies. I've heard of lots of people that are really into the show Lost when it was out. I've yet to meet a single person that likes the way it ends. Um, if the best story you have, if it falls flat, it just lets the whole thing turn into a bit of a disappointment. Um, this happens even to the best of artists. Uh, you know director Steven Spielberg, pretty big name. Uh, he had a blockbuster that came out one year. It had Tom Cruise as the headliner, War of the Worlds. Um, it started off well. It was one of those thrilling popcorn movies. The middle was okay. Well, it'd be charitable to say that the ending struggled a little bit. Um, the critics dined on roasted Spielberg after that movie came out. And the ending was universally panned. Um, 13 years later, he finally got over it enough emotionally to admit that he didn't know how to end it. And he, he remarked, I just couldn't figure out how to end the blasted thing. Uh, yeah, Spielberg, we noticed. Um, not, not a good ending. Uh, a, a bad ending can ruin even a great story. But on the other hand, think of what a good ending can do. A good ending helps you to tie together all the loose ends. It brings a sense of resolution. A good ending drives home the takeaway point, the thing you're supposed to go home with. But I think the best of endings does even more than that. The best of endings, it leaves you longing for a little bit more. Uh, we come now to the end of our series of life after death. As we've been looking past the winding path of our journey through this life, and even past the dark waters of death itself, to the life that's waiting for us with Jesus. And this morning we see how that life will actually come to us because Jesus is coming soon. As I was thinking of the way to try and end this series, I couldn't think of any better text than Revelation 22. Uh, it is the end of a grand book full of visions of present heaven and the glory of God. And as providentially, it is the end of the series of books that make up our Bible, which makes it a fitting end for us as we think about the end of our journeys as we spend forever with Jesus. Uh, the passage itself is broken up in three sections, centered around three times that Jesus tells us he's coming back soon. We'll use those three statements as kind of hooks, three hooks, to help us be ready for that day and to long for it. Those three sections are as follows. First, 
And six through 11, keep his trustworthy word. Keep his trustworthy word. Second, in 12 through 16, be ready for his coming judgment. Be ready for his coming judgment. Third, in verse 17 and 20 through 21, let your heart long for his return. Let your heart long for his return. Uh, let's begin with that first one. Keep his trustworthy word in verses 6 through 11. Now, since we have not had the benefit of studying the entire book of Revelation, I'm going to just give you a very brief summary of where we find ourselves. Uh, John has had a spiritual mountaintop experience for the ages. Uh, he has been caught up to present heaven itself with an angel guide to introduce him both to the risen Jesus, to show him the glory of the throne room of God, and to even see human history from heaven's point of view. He saw the beauty of God and his angels. And as God's plan is unfolded to glorify himself and all that is. He saw the terror of God's enemies as this bestial opposition. Persecuting the church and trying to thwart God's plans. And then he saw the terror of God's holy judgments. And the seals and bowls and trumpets opened up showing what justice of the divine sort is really like. Uh, at the end of the vision, he saw the end of all things, which we saw last week, Revelation 21. Uh, God's resurrected people inheriting a resurrected world, heaven itself coming down to be joined to earth to make once and for all the dwelling place of God with men forever and ever. All things made new, and all tears wiped away. Well, the text starts off after that mountaintop experience. John has come back down, and the vision's over, and there's a big question. Uh, what's he going to do with all this? I mean, if you read through the book of Revelation, it is some crazy stuff. Is he just going to think, wow, that was weird? I shouldn't eat late-night burritos like that. Moving on. Or is he going to do something else with his vision? Well, verse 6, we see that that angelic guide is sent to make sure that he doesn't just disregard this message, but that he understands the gravity of it and what to do with it. Verse 6, the angel tells him, these words, that's this whole book, the whole vision, are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. In other words, John, this was no accident that you had this vision. These words that you have heard and received, they're, they're not just optional. No, they are the truest and most trustworthy thing you've ever heard. They're, they're on par with all the other scriptures that the prophets were inspired to write. God spoke, and he intends for these words to be heard. Before he can go any further... The angel is interrupted by Jesus himself, this first of three times where Jesus declares something. Verse 7, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Uh, Jesus declares he's coming, but in the meantime, there's something for everyone to do. Anyone that hears these words that Jesus gave, they have the responsibility to keep these words. Well, what does it mean to keep words? Well, if you had studied through the book of Revelation, you know that 
term keep is used several times. In chapter 14, it's used to describe the saints who are called to endure. They are to keep the commandments and their faith in Jesus. So to keep words is to stay faithful to them, to remain true to them, to, to not abandon them, to live in light of them. Uh, Jesus here declares a blessing. Anyone who hears these words and puts them into practice until the very end, they will see fruit born in their heart and in their life. Now, at this point, we come across one of the shortcomings of John. Now, I have to admit that um, I find encouragement whenever I see someone in the Bible that falls short because, well, I, like all the rest of you, fall short all the time also. And John has a bit of an issue in the book of Revelation with falling down. Uh, he stumbles several times. At one time, it's appropriate. He meets the risen Lord Jesus, and he falls down like a dead man until Jesus touches him and comforts him. But two times, this be the, being the second one, John falls down on his face and tries to worship an angel, which is not the inappropriate thing to do. Look with me in verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of the book. Worship God. Now, I, I have to think that it's understandable how John makes this mistake, at least the first time. Uh, angels must be a sight to behold. They, they must truly be uh, a reflection of the divine in such a way that it overwhelms us when we see them. That's why people regularly fall down in front of them. But come on, John. Don't worship the angel twice in one book. Come on. Anyway, he makes this mistake, but the angel drives home in his correction that God's to be worshiped. And did you catch that? That the words of these book are meant to be kept. That th this is the main point that is being driven home through these sections, the section here, is that Jesus intends for this word, this message that John has received to be kept by his churches. Uh, Jesus himself in verse 16 tells us he's the one that sent the angel to say these things. And Jesus has already told us there's a blessing if you do. And as it turns out, there is a curse if you don't. Look with me in verses 18 and 19. John says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the, this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in a holy city, which are described in this book. Jesus is deadly serious about his church receiving his word. Uh, so much so that there is great blessing if, when the church hears and keeps those words. And there is incredible cursing when the church is unfaithful and seeks to either edit or ignore the things that Jesus has said. Now, if you're a Christian, you believe that Jesus is God, and you believe that when God speaks, we are bound to listen. So it's no surprise that like all the other books of the Bible, that we have no authority to edit or add to any of the words Jesus gives us. 
It doesn't matter if they are inconvenient or if they make us feel uncomfortable. The authority comes from God himself, the risen Jesus. We have a duty to merely proclaim and keep the words he gives us. Now, undoubtedly, the primary application that this text is meant for us to take is to study the book of Revelation and, and to take it seriously, to keep it. Um, now, even as I say that, I, I know that immediately it brings to mind uh, some baggage that has been, come over the years with this book. Um, I'm still relatively young by uh, comparison in the grand scheme of things, but a generation of believers before me uh, saw many churches and even denominations split over very fine details of how you interpret the book of Revelation. Uh, there's a lot of hurt that happened, and the, frankly, the witness of the church was greatly harmed, uh, which is why I think many Christians today have swung the opposite direction and are afraid to even go there at all. You know, like people say things like, well, that's all just so complicated. I'm just going to focus on the important stuff. Now, frankly, if we take Jesus' words seriously here, we don't have room to say that we're just not going to think about what this entire book says. But I think we, there is also room for us to do so with great humility. Um, this week I was reading an A.W. Tozer book um, about the return of Christ mainly about the book of Revelation. And if you know anything about A.W. Tozer, he was not a bashful man. Uh, he said things very forcefully and prophetically many times. But I was very, uh, very helped by the fact that he spent an entire chapter in this book calling Christians to be humble about the conclusions they draw from many of the more difficult passages in the book of Revelation. Now, I don't know where you are in terms of your experience trying to dive into the details of this book filled with apocalyptic images, but I do want to encourage you to seriously consider how can you hold on to these words Jesus has given you? Uh, maybe if you've never studied it before, it's as much as being able to get the big theme of the book. I'll give you the spoilers. Jesus wins. It's a good ending. Uh, but, or maybe you need to pick up some study aids and really get, to, uh, really get more systematic about your study. Wherever you are, there's a, another layer of, uh, of keeping the word of God that you're being called to. I'm so thankful for the men that have been uh, taking part in Pastor Eric's Bible study on Friday mornings. They've been going through the book of Revelation. I've heard from many of them how fruitful that's been. Um, I know not everyone can make it on Friday mornings. Uh, especially if you're from the other half of the church. It's not a man. Um, but if you are interested in how to study the book, how do I even get started? There was a core class that was done within the last year by Dr. Nicholas Piotrowski that gave an introduction to the book of Revelation and how to study it. Um, and if you look at your e-news this week, there'll be a link to that, about one hour class. Watch that. It'll get you started. But prayerfully consider how you can hear these words, and keep them in your own study. Now, while I think that's the primary application that this text is intending for us to draw, it's not an accident that this is the last chapter of the last of the books given to us in the collection of books that are the inspired canon of Scripture. And I think there is a very legitimate application for us and a call for us to keep the whole Bible, and not to edit or add to it, 
even when it becomes inconvenient or uncomfortable. You know, every generation has this same trial that it must go through, the same test. Will it hold to the words passed down through the generations from God himself? Uh, there will always be something that makes us uncomfortable. It will always seem expedient to edit out that one little section of the Bible that our culture finds particularly offensive. And yet, if we take seriously the call here to keep these words, then we have no right to edit or add. We are charged to proclaim and live in light of. Now, I think it's also helpful to know that this thing we are called to keep, these words given to us, are the way, the means that God keeps us. Have you noticed how that happens in your Christian life? That the times where you study the Bible most vociferously, and the more you're closer you are to the Word of God, how much easier it is to feel close to God. That's not because you're earning anything in the courts of heaven, but because this is the way that God encourages us and corrects us and fills us with hope. We need to be in the Word. As a pastor, I see regularly when we stop spending time in the Word ourselves, our spiritual life declines rapidly. Hear Jesus' words. As you wait for His coming, keep His trustworthy Word, and He'll keep you until the day He comes. Next, we come to the second hook, which is honestly one of those truths that people find uncomfortable and inconvenient this the time in which we live, be ready for his coming judgment in verses 12 through 16. Jesus the second time says that he is coming soon, but this time it's to do something. I'm coming soon, verse 12, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I read a series, a fantasy series of books they had a very Eastern way of thinking of the world in our lives. Uh, the books were called the, the Wheel of Time, and it thought of people's lives in human history like a wheel that was turning. Even though there was movement, it didn't really go anywhere. It just turned around until you ended up right back in the same place you started. People's lives started, they ended. Other people's lives start, they end, but really... No one's, going, no one's going anywhere. History's not going anywhere. And so there's no real meaning. That's a popular way for many people to think today. But the Bible has a very, very different way of thinking of our lives and of thinking about the direction of human history. The Bible teaches that we are on a journey toward a meeting. I think it's captured well by the words of Johnny Cash, in his song, When the Man Comes Around. So there, there's a man coming around, taking names. And, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated just the same. There'll be a golden ladder hanging down when the man comes around. Only Johnny Cash could put it that way. Um, that whole song is greatly influenced by the book of Revelation. And it gets this part picture perfect. Life's not a circle. It's a journey towards a meeting with Jesus. And when that meeting comes, 
we will find it's the most important meeting that we've ever had in our lives. It will be judgment day. The difference between eternal life and eternal sorrow and death. Uh, Jesus tells us his qualifications to be the one to come and pay back or bring recompense. He, he does it twice in the passage. First in verse 13, he says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Uh, that's a, a title given to Yahweh and the prophets. It's a, from the first to the last letter of the alphabet. It implies the authority that the creator of all that is has over his creation, specifically to judge. Uh, Jesus is the one through whom the whole world and everything in it, including you, were made, which is why Jesus has the authority to judge each and every one of us. Uh, Jesus matches that authority over all the creation, over his authority over the church and God's people. Look with me in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David and the bright and morning star. The root and descendant of David is prophet language for the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. The, David's true son who would inherit an eternal kingdom and reign forever. Jesus is that son. And then he describes the bright and morning star. I think that's a reference to Numbers 24, 17. Uh, that's where Israel is given a prophecy that from the royal line of Judah, a star will rise. I think that's referring to Jesus' kingly authority yet again. Uh, there's no one else in the world or the history of the world fit to judge all that is. No one else is creator and king over all except Jesus. Jesus is the man that one day will come around taking names. And when he does, the outcome of that judgment will be stark. In verses 14 and 15, he describes two very, very different experiences that day will bring. In 14, there is a blessing for those whose robes are washed. Earlier in the book, it's clarified that their robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. That is, those who have found forgiveness from Jesus' sacrifice on their behalf. Uh, for them, they are given the right to the tree of life, to enter into the blessed city, into perfect fellowship with God and the rest of God's people forever. For them, that will be the best day of their lives and a series of best days that stretches on forever. But there is another group. Uh, we, we see that down in verse 15. Uh, this group is not covered by the blood of Jesus. Their robes are not washed. And as a result, they are outside of that city. They are described as dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters. Uh, a list of sins that's not meant to be exhaustive, as the very end shows us. And anyone who loves and practices falsehood. This is everyone apart from Christ arriving on that meeting of Judgment Day and finding the worst day of their life and the beginning of a series of worst days that goes on forever under the wrath of God. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, 
Uh, maybe you have a Christian in, that's in your life that again and again wants to talk with you about Jesus. And frankly, it, it's a little uncomfortable and inconvenient. And you wish they would stop. I just want you to know this is the reason why we feel like we have to keep bringing this up. It's because we really do believe that this man, Jesus, is coming back one day. We really do believe that there is a day of heavenly accounting, of judgment coming. And we want so badly for that to be the best day of your life and not the worst. See, the Bible teaches us that we're all sinners, that left on our own, and when we arrive to judgment day, we have absolutely no chance to inherit eternal life and blessing from God. That if God were to give us what we deserved, it would have been immediate and final punishment the first time we sinned. That our, the whole human race has been corrupt from the beginning. And yet in God's mercy and kindness, he sent his son Jesus to rescue ruined sinners of all types. He did that by sending Jesus in his perfect life to the cross, where Jesus willingly gave his life up as a sacrifice for sins. Uh, that means that Jesus can bear the punishment that you deserve if you would just turn from your sins and trust Jesus. It'll guarantee that when that day of judgment comes, it won't be the worst day of your life. It'll transform it into the day you've been hoping and longing for because you know it'll bring with it the salvation Jesus has promised and all the joys of his heaven to be yours forever. Now, if you don't know how to do that or you're interested in knowing more, let me just invite you, ask that Christian that's been bugging you and asking you about Jesus. I'm sure they'd be delighted to walk you through how you can know that you are forgiven and no longer have fear of judgment day. Now, for those of us who are Christians, uh, of course, this should motivate us toward evangelism, as we just heard. But there's also another layer. I think this is the, the primary way that Revelation talks about the coming of Christ, where this should be a great comfort to us when we are suffering and even persecuted as we walk this winding road through this life. You know, the, this world and this life is full of many sorrows. You don't have to live very long to know what I'm talking about. I'm sure in the quiet of your own mind and heart, you can come up with your own list of things that have made you discouraged this week, or things that have caused you to shed tears, or things that you just feel like are too much for you to bear. Uh, sometimes Christians fall into that pit when someone has sinned against them greatly. Uh, they, they want so badly to get even, to have some measure of justice, now, that's not a bad impulse in and of itself, but oftentimes it leads us to either despair or to sin. Sometimes there's no earthly justice you can bring to a situation. Sometimes the long arm of the law isn't long enough to get a hold of this wrong that's been done. Uh, but that's where the coming of Jesus and his recompense is a great balm. Uh, because you know that while they may get away with it in this life, on that final day, no one will get away with anything. Uh, there will be repayment. Every single wound that's inflicted will be righted. And on that day, whatever grief you have lived with during this earthly life, 
uh, you will see that reality where every sad thing comes untrue for you. And you will see God has been just and he has been kind in all of it. So my dear brothers and sisters, hold on to this reality that there is a day of judgment coming. You will see the man come round. And that day for you will not be a day of sorrow. It'll be a day of joy. The best day in a series of best days that'll be yours forever with Jesus. Which brings us to the last leg of our journey together. The third and final point. Let your heart long for his return. Let your heart long for his return. Verses 17 and 20 through 21. Going to get a little bonus this morning. Not only will you hear a sermon, but you will walk away with the world's best recipe for a beverage. It requires only two ingredients. One, plain old water. And two, lots and lots and lots of thirst. You ever notice that, that the more thirsty you are, the better water, plain old water tastes? I had one summer when I was doing summer camps for students, and I'd be outside for a four-hour block in the Florida heat right in the middle of the day. And most days I was really good about bringing a lot of water with me, but one particular day I didn't bring enough. About two hours in, I ran out of water, and I started to really want to leave and go get it, but I couldn't. So I fought through but as the hours went on, I got more and more thirsty. It's like I was having visions of water, just what it tastes like and how sweet it would be on my tongue and how it would bring relief to my parched throat. Finally, I was able to leave and go to the building and the air conditioning, as wonderful as that was. I had eyes for only one thing, the water fountain. <laughs> and I went and took a good long drink, and it was the sweetest thing I'd ever tasted. Sweeter than the finest wine you'll find in this world. Uh, there's an image that's used here for the satisfaction that we are to find in this world when we come to Christ. It is described as the water of life without price. And whether we realize it or not, our souls are desperately thirsty for, for it. Uh, there's a series of three invitations given to invite desperately thirsty sinners to come and be satisfied by Jesus, to take and drink and find the water from which will make it so you're never thirsty again. Uh, first, in verse 17, it's an inv invitation to us. The spirit and the bride say, come. This is an invitation from the very Holy Spirit on the inside and the witness of the church on the outside for soul-thirsty sinners to come and find what they need in Jesus. And brothers and sisters, this is what we get to have happen every single time we gather. Uh, the Spirit testifies within us, and we are reminded by the Word of God and singing, even hearing each other, that what we need more than a vacation or, or more than people to treat us better or more than a bigger paycheck, what we need is more of Jesus. And when we taste of what we have in Jesus, we're reminded that this is what we've been longing for all along. First, an invitation to us. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Second, an invitation through us. And let the one who hears say, come. 
not only are we invited to come drink, we get to bring others to come find the same thing we do. That's really what you're doing when you evangelize. You're just telling people who are already thirsty, whether they realize it or not, where they can find the satisfaction for their souls. Uh, we get to be satisfied and see the joy of others be satisfied with us playing a part. An invitation to us, an invitation through us, and then finally an invitation to all. Let the one who is thirsty come. Anyone at all, anyone who feels their soul's thirst is invited to come and find the satisfaction only Jesus can provide. And the best news of all, it doesn't cost a thing. It's the water of life without price. Jesus already paid the full amount that was due for it, so you can just come and drink. Brothers and sisters, we remember that Jesus is in sole possession of this water that your soul thirsts after. Oh, for a time you may forget. Uh, you may wander off after worldly pleasures and thoughts that seem to puff up and make your heart feel proud, and, and yet sooner or later the Spirit will Make sure that you will be made aware again of your soul's thirst. Would you come running back and be satisfied? The only place that can get down to your soul is the satisfaction of your Lord Jesus. There's satisfaction to be had now, and yet there's one final step to go, and that is satisfaction that's yet to come. An even greater quenching for our spiritual thirst that will go on forever. Look, look with me in verse 20. The third and, and final time that Jesus declares is coming. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Uh, Jesus, for the third time, tells us that he's going to come and it's not going to be long. Uh, from the point of view of heaven, it's, it's as if it is on the cusp of happening. When you measure time from the vantage point of eternity, 2,000 years isn't even uh, an evening gone past. So whether Jesus comes back tomorrow or 2,000 more years in the future, it's right to say he is coming soon. Think about what's coming for you on that day. Uh, think about what you will experience when Jesus returns and satisfies your soul forever. Uh, on that day, you will inherit a glory that's better than a soldier who's fought through a horrible war and emerged victorious. Uh, on that day, you will experience a better rest than a weary and wounded traveler that somehow limps his way home and gets into the warmth and comfort of his own bed. On that day, you will have a love that's better than the love of a radiant bride as she walks down the aisle toward her beloved into a life of marital bliss. On that day, you will experience the greatest of all joys because you will experience being with Jesus. It'll be the best day of your life and the first of a series of best days that will go on and on and get better and better forever. So brothers and sisters, 
What do you remind yourself of what's waiting you? What do you let your heart be lifted and your mind be directed upward to Jesus and to heaven? And would you let your heart long for that moment that will surely be yours? John, as he contemplates these things, is overwhelmed by the emotion of them all. He, he uh, reverts back to his mother tongue. He's been writing in Greek, and all of a sudden what comes out is Aramaic. He says, amen, come Lord Jesus. It's like he blurts out his native language because he can't hold it in. One word, Maranatha. And it captures the longing of a heart that's waiting for Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Uh, when you're having a great day and it feels like you've had a slice of heaven, let your heart look through that wonderful thing and beyond it to what's coming for you with Jesus and cry, come, Lord Jesus. When the clouds are dark and your tears are many, uh, when you find yourself overwhelmed with sorrow, would you remember the comfort that's coming when Jesus arrives? And would you cry, come, Lord Jesus. Make all these sad things come untrue. Brothers and sisters, beyond the end of the twisting turns of our passage through this life and beyond even the dark waters of death is waiting for you a forever life with Jesus. And when you experience that forever life, all the difficulties and sorrows of this world will be worth it. And its joys will seem like a fleeting dream. Your soul will be satisfied because it'll be with Jesus forever. So I was thinking of how to end this last installment of this series of Life After Death, I couldn't think of a better place to go than C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, the end of the last battle. Aslan has defeated all his enemies. The world itself is rolling, uh, being rolled up like a scroll and remade. And then Aslan turns to the children and says this. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And as for us, this is the end of all stories. And we can most truly say they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover in the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Brothers and sisters, your ending is the best of all endings. It's to be with Jesus forever in eternal bliss. Hold that hope in your heart. Set your mind on it and wait faithfully until the day it comes. You pray with me. Oh, Jesus, we feel your everlasting arms lifting us and keeping us. 
Uh, we see the way that you've provided all that we need to be saved and to have a hope that is indestructible in this life. We even believe with that hope through faith that there are better things coming for us with you. Uh, that one day our faith will be made sight and that an eternity of the greatest of all joys will be ours because we will be with you. Uh, Jesus, will you help us now lift our hearts so that we should, can worship you as if we are in the very throne room of heaven. Allow us to look past the dark waters of death to the life that is ours, that's coming with you, Lord Jesus. We cry, come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray these things in your name. Amen.